Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I am Food & Wine Senior Editor Kat Kinsman. Good golly, my guest today. This is our not our first rodeo. <laughs> she is the food correspondent for the New York Times, former Southern Bureau Chief Pulitzer Prize winner, James Beard Award winning journalist, Kim Severson. Hello. Hello. Oh my gosh. I know. It, it's like I was saying, this is not our first rodeo together. We will we will go down some roads here, but first I want to humiliate myself by talking about <laughs> our origin story. Oh my God. Yes. Way, way back in the year, uh, good God, um, this would have been maybe 2007. I think I was a, a fangirl, a Kim Severson fangirl. We are legion. We have meetings uh, the day the food section comes out every week. And uh, where are we going? I'm so scared. <laughs> so uh, I had just started as a food journalist, accidentally like fell backward into it. I was working at AOL and I was went to a lunch at uh, Oto restaurant, then helmed by somebody we will be talking about later. Um, and I was very excited because it seemed like it was going to be this fancy ass lunch. Uh, I paid my way in. I didn't realize that that most of the people there were comped, was sitting at a table with some, Terrence Brennan was there, Michelle Nishan, like all these these people. But I, I was so nervous because I knew that Kim Severson of the New York Times was there. And I went up to you, hands shaking and said, um, um, I'm friends. Uh, my friend is your coworker, Pete Wells. And you were so nice to me. Oh, thank God. Yeah, no, I'm not doing a gotcha here. I'm not, you know, I'm, I, uh, we're, we're are we going to go easy on each other today? I don't know. Um, but but I, I was so in awe. You were so kind to me. And I was just having this moment thinking, I don't belong here among these these famous chefs, these journalists, these these all of these things. I, you know, I, I had just taken a turn into a new career at, uh, you know, 34 into being a, a food writer. And you were really nice. And you were like, any friend of Pete's is a friend of mine. And then uh, sometime after that, you wrote a story that uh, Pete was telling me was getting you more death threats than you'd ever gotten before. Oh my gosh, which one was that? I know, because I'm sure more have come your way uh, since then. You were talking about a gathering of people uh, who were learning how to kill rabbits. Oh my gosh, right. And do you know who was the star of that story? Who was the star of that? Miss Samin. Oh, Samin was part of that. Samin and uh, a woman in Oakland who was doing... Uh, some urban farming stuff. Their gig at that point was was flying around the country with um, uh, with uh, hedge clippers in a little suitcase, like a you know, like a machine gun in a violin case. And they were teaching people how to kill rabbits <laughs> and like cook them. Lots. And it was in the parking lot of Roberta's, and uh, it was very. So, and there were these people, like these women who got their boyfriends this, like, oh, we're going to go do this rabbit seminar. Here's your birthday present, honey. And so they're standing there. And then there were some very serious people about, like, if I'm going to eat an animal, I need to kill it to be There was part an of it. era of dilettante slaughter that was it happening. It was dilettante <laughs> slaughter. And, uh, yeah, and then there was, this was, you know, Samin, when she was, before she was Samin, maybe, or she was Samin, she, was she very, wasn't the Samin. People just didn't know it yet. Didn't know Samin was Samin then. And she was like, they were like teaching, and you could either chop the rabbit's head with the clippers, or you could put the rabbit on the uh, pavement outside of Roberta's and take a broomstick 
uh, across the rabbit's neck and put your feet on it and pull the rabbit's body up and snap the rabbit's neck. Right, like my stomach is... I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, should I, I should have triggered people, trigger warning people. But that was the story. And we wrote about this whole thing about dilettante slaughter. That's brilliant. This is why you're so brilliant. <laughs> it's exactly what it was. And uh, and uh, our photograph, you know, usually on the cover of the food section, yeah. we try to have A sexy food, chicken. Uh, you know, or pretty food. You know, but this was uh, just... You, you saw the rabbit and a hand... Uh, like right in the camera's mm -hmm. face, holding the rabbit up, and the so there was staring a very. It was like, it was like, yeah. So um, yeah, and that I that was a, that was a um, yeah. That was that upset people. Well, Pete, uh, you know, we've been friends for a long time, and he sort of said to me, you he know, was editor. He's my I, editor then, right? Oh yes. So he. Uh, you know, knew I was a big fangirl uh, of yours and said, well, you know, you're a rabbit owner because I, for years, had rescue rabbits and said, you know, Kim is is getting you know, death threats. She's getting a lot of this stuff. Maybe if you wanted to reach out to her, you know, that would be a good thing. And, and as I, a rabbit owner to as, comfort as, me. As a rabbit owner. And, <laughs> you know, and I remember I sent you an email saying like, you know, I know this, is, you know, and I was part of all these rabbit rescue groups and it would calling I for think your I head. Remember and, this now. Oh yeah. My gosh. And I oh reached my gosh, out to you I and said, like, this. just so you know, not all of us like <laughs> are asking for your head on a platter or anything. And you right. said, thank you for saying that. Can we go to breakfast? And I was thinking, and I was geeking out so hard. And I remember we went out. I still remember I had a brulee de grapefruit. Did we go up to? Um, it was on a place on Houston. The mayor. Oh, it was on Houston. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And realized we were neighbors. Yes. Yeah. And brulee de grapefruit. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should bring back the brulee. De grapefruit. I'm here for fire. I'm here for yeah. for all of these things. Maybe not sweet and acid. Uh, not so much the dilettante slaughter part. Right. Of it. I I just that was such a funny thing because you know of course as a food writer if you have this group of young food people who are doing this thing in mm. that there is a moment in culture where people will pay money to go try to slaughter a rabbit in you know when this is like right when robertus was kind of getting going i mean how is that not something you would want to write about as yeah. a journalist well, but people felt very strongly that we should not have done that or taken a stand on it or or somehow there was the assumption that you were endorsing it by writing about it and this is so this is something I wanted to I'm just saying that's all my job is I'm just saying that's yes so let's talk about that because I, I want to talk about your career path in 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 general but I also want to talk about sort of journalism and this particular era that we are living in where food's never not been political I mean come on it is it is about uh, the systems that exist it is about access it is about race it is about income uh, equality and inequality it is about gender it is about so many things and I, I feel like you know maybe more and more people are realizing do you, do you feel like as as uh, journalists we have a moral duty to be covering food in a different way than maybe we had historically um, I don't I don't know that it's a uh, moral duty is a funny thing to say <laughs> I heavy think, at 930 in the morning <laughs> yeah I you know I do think that that's this is where food culture is mm -hmm. and you know, food has been political for, like you say, you know, it's if you never not been. you know, back, um, uh, you know, in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, and when the Black Panthers were um, making their stand in Oakland and, and making breakfast, they were making breakfast, they were feeding kids, they were taking boxes of, ra of rice aroni, rebranding it and putting the Black Panthers logo on it and mm -hmm. handing it out to poor families. I mean, you know, food has been political for a long time. And mm -hmm. if you look, you know, if you if you read, um, 
uh, John Birdsall's, uh, um, or John Kaufman's um, Hippie Food. It's mm-hmm. fantastic, and it really shows you kind of the history of food and politics and social change. So that's been happening. It is happening now in a, like everything now, it's amplified, and it's, um, you know, I, I tell people all the time, food is our cultural currency, right? So mm-hmm. right now we're in this great moment of, of cultural shift, right? And we are um, taking better strides in blowing up uh, issues of racism and sexism and power structures and gender. all of that, <laughs> gender, all of that is, and so of course food's going to be a way that we talk about it, you know, in a way that we express it. It's like, you know, the way film in the 70s was how we expressed a sexual, changing sexual mores and, you know, so there were there were all those great films in the 70s or jazz in the 20s, same thing. Mm-hmm. You, you saw this expression of what was happening through music and now we're seeing this expression of what's happening through food. So it's, I mean, it's a fantastic time. So I don't know if it's a, a moral obligation, but it's certainly an obligation. It's a journalistic obligation. Yeah, so there's, because I know that, you know, as journalists, we are maybe because of our different outlets, uh, you more than me um, have to remain impartial in various ways. I mean, I definitely had to at CNN had to very much walk that line where I could I had to remain apolitical in public and it just about killed me. Right. Um, but you have to remain extremely balanced, extremely uh, you know, fair in in the middle of that, but you can have there's there's still a statement to be made by the choice of stories mm-hmm. that you want to tell, the sources you choose, the people who you want to to amplify. And I want to talk about that decision making process. What makes something a story that you feel like makes it something that you in particular need to report on? And then what is the process for that going through the times? Well. Cat, yeah. <laughs> very glad you asked that. Um, and if I just before I answer that question, a side note to say that Etocracy on CNN oh, was a groundbreaking. It. Thank you for saying thing. that. I mean, I don't think we understand that like moving food journalism from like food mags or traditional newspaper food journalism uh, into the kind of digital world we have. Etocracy was the. I mean, that was the bridge program. So you had. A new kind of a news organization as I recall they were like what okay we'll do yeah this food they thing. weren't quite sure and they it was right <laughs> again when food was kind of becoming you know taking another step up into um, news that you know into mm-hmm. into culture and so I remember CNN used to throw you on oh, like to make comment on like like there Everything. would be there's E. coli and whatever and you'd have to come on and say well you want to like make sure you wash your hands when oh, you yeah. like you I were like why am I here on the news desk but it was a great. lot of service journalism I you did but you you also opinion. had that kind of flare out cat kind of thing <laughs> going on and and so you were breaking open the form in a way that uh, I think was really the people like who's that um, goth chick on CNN <laughs> well there was that uh, but you know it was the precursor to kind of where we are now and I don't think that people you know especially if you go back and you look at some of that you realize that that was a super transitional piece of food media I appreciate in, that. in terms you. of how co- like it's been food forgotten. culture was changing no 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 it was seminal <laughs> kids go check out early autocracy and you'll understand why it, you it are is now archived on, online yeah you can occasionally find some little yeah I know where it is yeah <laughs> All right. But anyway, so thank you for saying so that. So I would just it. wanted to, you know, in terms of how media evolves, that was so key what you were doing back then. Okay, so what makes a story? What makes well, it a Kim story? At a yeah. very base level, and this is um, 
you know, just any reporter will tell you, like, it's, you just know when something's a story. And it's the kind of thing, like, do I want to go home and tell somebody about it right away? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, oh my God, did you hear, or did you know that? Mm -hmm. Like, if I want to say to somebody, okay, like, I just have this incredible urge to tell people what I know, which is not always, you know, people in my personal relationships will tell you, (laughs) not always um, a really fun day. But I'm like, I'm like, did you know that, like, oh my God, did you hear that? Like, that thing that makes you go, did you know that? Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. You know, so... The, you know, um, in the old days, the old reporters used to call it the Hey Martha story. So you're sitting there with your husband at the breakfast table and he's like, Hey Martha, did you hear that? <laughs> so it's that thing. Like, yeah. So that's kind of a very newspaper. You know, that's right. <laughs> we had news. Get me rewrite, kid. Um, so there's that that sort of thing, that yeah. basic need to tell the story, tell what's what's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then after, um, you know, you we all have our you know people say oh that's a kim severson story or yeah because there's just it's, things it's that viable thing that um just that seem to interest me or that i think you know is this is um you know you think about is it you know first of all is it news there's some mm-hmm. basic news stuff like yeah. that you have to write and then is it um is this uh news is this something from the new york times because mm-hmm. you have to write for your yeah what is that thing what is that um, frame like how do you identify is you this know, new york times story i mean <sighs> You know, and again, it, it all changes, and where does it, you know, it depends on which desk you're writing with. I mean, some things, some newspaper forms are just great and enduring and should always be what they are, like an obituary, for you're example. You're so good at an that. An obituary oh. is such a fantastic thing. Well, not somebody's dead, it's not fantastic, but. <laughs> okay, take away from this, Kim Severson <laughs> is happy when people die. Yeah, that's right, that's right, headlines. Um, that's the tweet. Right. Um, <laughs> it, but it is it is such a great newspaper form right because it it has to do once like a Mm -hmm. baseball story like it's a basic form and then the beauty is in how you Mm -hmm. can kind of master the form so much that you can then break out of it and and make it something larger it tells you about history it it maybe (sighs) tells you it it touches your heart Leah Chase it you know for instance right and so that takes you through an incredible you know without being you know bombastic or banging anybody over the head about you know how incredibly screwed life in America has been for people of color it tells you the whole story of a woman who walked through that it talks about food it talks about the history of a city um Mm -hmm. and and it just is uh you know I I mean it was it's a great kind of thing to write so why am I telling you this okay so there are certain stories that are just going to be what they are there's that or it's a news story you know um you know some terrible tragedy happened 12 people were killed this is what happened you try mm-hmm. to get as much information as you can and just just try to get truthful factual, factual. you know inf- information as you know in the paper and the times is very you know it's conservative about things that i think in a way people particularly right now i think people feel like we need, we're supposed to be the advocacy newspaper for the resistance which is not what we're trying to do it's just you know um we're just trying to do fair and accurate reporting and we're trying to you know we're powerful enough to do the whole speak truth to power situation Mm -hmm. um you know uh i think the newspaper the times has been around for you know decades and decades 168 years or whatever and Mm -hmm. and we you know, there's a there's a legacy there. Now we are stodgy, and sometimes you, you st- know, still no curses. You Unprintable. Will, I mean, you know, and I, in some ways, I'm kind of glad that that's that at least you know it's it moves slowly, and that's probably a good thing in many ways. And we put out, you know, you cannot. Well, we've got 1,200 journalists around mm-hmm. the world. We have, uh, you know you know, almost 20 bureaus in the United States. We have bureaus in almost every mm-hmm. region and country. 
and you know we put out lots of words every day and we're going to screw up sometimes it's a daily paper you mm -hmm. know and i know people just bang on us when we screw up and everybody hates when we screw up but if you look at the screw ups versus the whole of what we do every day mm -hmm. the daily miracle is the daily miracle so anyway so then getting to what's a food story so mm -hmm. depending on you know like for example we sat for a minute when the whole popeye's fried chicken uh, sandwich thing right. happened. Yes. So you know we're pondering. Do we write the what is hot the, take? There on are the... so many moving parts. That right. like, what part do you do? Do you right. do like cultural implication of of fried chicken? Because then you can offer it in contrast to Chick Fil A, right, et cetera. Right. Do you right. Jesus chicken? Yeah. yeah, and then do you talk about um, right. fast food and and access to to food and and health? How the workers are there's a or as cultural phenomena, there are a billion angles in there. Right. And, you know, um, you know, everybody was jumping on that. And I don't think that we're the one, you know, there are plenty of people and plenty of outlets and plenty of ways in which um, people are addressing the chick, the, that sandwich. Like, should we eat it? Let's try it. I'm going to try to recreate it at home. And I've always loved Popeyes and, the, you know, it's all that. We did, we, and this just sort of shows you how the, the reality of daily journalism works. So um, there's a reporter named John Elligo who, um, was in, on the national desk and writes a lot about race and writes a lot about national politics and things. And uh, um, he wanted to do this take on how Popeyes reads black and that mm -hmm. that's the thing that people don't understand and why does Popeyes read black and so why in the mm -hmm. sandwich thing. So he started doing this timesian discussion and then he got pulled off for another breaking story. I and then the, did it ever get done? No. Well, it got done, but by the time he got back, mm. it's kind of like culture has moved. No, didn't we didn't print it? That's why. Oh. So culture has moved on, and then we're like. I want to read that. I want a symposium we, on exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's fascinating. So, you know, in the realities of daily newspapering, that would have been great. Mm -hmm. He ended up, because he writes for National, not for food, he got pulled off and he couldn't finish yeah. it in a time. And then it's sort of like, well, now it's two weeks past. Are we just going to look like the Times is on it? Or <laughs> is it a worth, you know? Yep. So so the reality is there's just a practicality to daily newspapering yeah. that I think people... You know, it's I mean, tough stuff happens. You have so many you, people. You get a day two story, maybe. Then you have you to. Know, the world churns. The longer all of that you wait, stuff. like the longer and deeper the story, it it has to be because then and that like, may still be a great story to do, and he may come out with it in a peg. different way. You know, so you you kind of weigh all this stuff out, and I think. Um, you know, and Times Food is doing lots of different things. The NYT cooking app is this yes. huge you, juggernaut. You kind of, okay, so let's talk about the economics of that for a second, too, because y'all and the crossword are paying the bills right. for this so paper to keep you, going. If you buy a subscription to the New York Times, you can get Proud like, subscriber. thank you, The soup. we appreciate that. The super <laughs> uh, double, like the super deluxe uh, thing, and I don't know if it's $17, whatever it is, you get the crossword and you get NYT cooking, and then you get the main thing. Or you can get like basic cable of New York Times. I like the magazine. All right. <laughs> and then, and then, so anyway, um, is this thing on? Are we on? Um, so then you can get, uh, or you can just, if you want, buy the cooking app for four ninety five. Yeah. And we have just the independent, just people who do that is like two hundred and eighty thousand people now. Mm. In fact, we have more just NYT cooking digital subscribers than the entire LA Times has digital subscribers. Whoa. So. God bless the LA Times. I, love I what subscribe doing to there, them too. You know? I but I'm just saying that, like, it's been this juggernaut. Yeah. People really, really love it, and so we do a lot of the hires we're doing are people who are very smart, uh, digital people who go, you know. So when that's on your phone, is it easier when you're cooking to just touch it to switch between mm. the you ingredients? You got Emily Fly the shaker thing? in there, or do you? Oh my God, that girl, that girl can edit a recipe. 
Oh my God, she is like well, and yeah, and and like and just knows all the digital oh stuff. Oh like. my God, the whole thing, and she's just like. You know, I think on this, the tarragon might be a really, would it be better if we put the tarragon in ahead of time? And I'm like, you're running the whole, like, yep. okay on the tarragon. Like, she's just good. She's yeah. deep and good. <laughs> so anyway, so you have, like, we're hiring. So cooking does its thing. And then you have the food journalism thing. Mm-hmm. So then you have those of us who are kind of more over in the food. And we occasionally do things that have a recipe for cooking or, mm-hmm. you know, we just did some every night every night cooking package and we mm-hmm. all had to do you and know melissa julia mosk and me um you know so we have that sort of side of things and you've written plenty of cookbooks too uh not plenty a couple but yeah but cookbook <laughs> the cookbooks are hard. i have such They're admiration so for anybody who does a cookbook <laughs> i am not good at it it's very hard work testing recipes you know and the other thing's been interesting at As the we, times you, is to convince Oh, this is your show, not mine. Sorry. No, no, bring it. It's to convince. (laughs) It's our show, babe. (laughs) uh, That's right. It's to convince, you know, the New York Timesy and, you know, preview very sort of male news sort of people Mm -hmm. that uh, a recipe is journalism and that we need to make that as exact and as precise as we would a news story and Mm -hmm. that it needs to be, you know, rigorously tested. Uh, Hitting the table. I'm not supposed to do that. You see, I'm a journalist, not a radio person. I'm like, I'm, I'm a, really good at the. Radio. I'm going to sit on my hands no, now. No, no, no. Um, mm-hmm. Now, now, cat has tied my hands behind my back, and this is getting I'm, weird. You know, a professional. Anyway, <laughs> that's right. I'm like, whoa. Everything they've said about your show is true. But anyway, the point is, uh, taking getting food to fit into the New York Times is yeah. interesting in its way too. And I yeah. was there was a day when I came into the Times and getting a food story on the front page mm-hmm. seemed like. A miracle, and for a while, I think I had a seven-year run where I had a front-page story about uh, Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. Day, and that was my goal. Like, if I'm a food writer and I cannot get a food story on the front page on Thanksgiving Day, but, I suck. But you're up against King Thanksgiving. Well, there you go. Now, <laughs> well, then things changed. So, um, yeah, King Thanksgiving. So, uh, but Sam, anyway, we're calling you King uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> but things, so things shift, you know. And yeah. now, food stories are Put your hands on the table. Am if I you allowed want to do that? Yeah. You, I God, this is like so strict here. <laughs> um, but I think food food has changed a lot. So now we have business people writing yeah. food stories, and we have, um, you know, the Express Desk, which is our new kind of fast-moving news mm-hmm. thing. We'll do. We'll pick up on certain lighter food trends. You know, we had a a great story that um, I think came out of the Business Desk about the honeydew melon, and it was sort of about honeydew melon, like how it all. It really is sort of the way that the salad bar people can rip you off because it weighs so much and yes. it really delivers so little, and where the honeydew melons mm-hmm. come from, and how their fillers on buffets across. And it was just a great, brilliant story. I wish I had thought of. So food is at the paper. A food story can be all kinds of mm-hmm. things in all kinds of sections, um, and our job in the actual food section has gotten. Um, I wouldn't say more narrow, but more specialized in Mm -hmm. a way. Uh, So, you know, I used to write a lot about nutrition and childhood obesity. And, um, you know, I'm not so into nutrition stories anymore just Mm -hmm. because I've learned after years and years and years that there really is no good nutrition like nutrition research is notoriously unreliable oh dear god it's a ch- it's ever so changing. debunkable it's yeah right but you know um would i write about you know i mean you know the sort of like the way gluten-free products have hit the market and changed things if you can catch it's the way story and a business yeah story and you have and to catch those things just at the right way like my thing is like i want to see just before something turns, like I want to see around the corner, right? So I'm mm-hmm. like, is there enough? I just get that little spidey sense. Is there something happening here bubbling up? Is this enough to be, to take it and go, um, what we, we call kind of intellectual scoops at the paper. So mm. can you gather enough sort of 
stuff that's floating in the ether and pull it together and go this and make a uh, put a stake in the ground this is a cultural moment where something's shifting or this so yeah that kind of thing is what i've really liked to do like when i'm like huh this person said this and i noticed this and then this Threading thing happened that thing and then i'm like together. oh maybe it's the moment and is there enough to really put it together and be definitive in a a way that has solid reportage and mm. you know well, so. let's talk about that reportage because you had to thread some very particular uh, needles over the past couple of years. Uh, that's how you got your, your Pulitzer there, um, reporting on the Me Too movement and breaking some really important stories about um, sexual assault, harassment, et cetera. I'll put toss in the word allegations just in case some stuff is uh, you know, not verifiable. But you found yourself in a position where you had a really tough story that you had to tell in a, in a particular incredibly sensitive realm where you were um, you, you were talking about various things but the the story about uh, I'm trying to remember what the order of it was was it Ken Friedman first or was it right. Mario Batali well it was first? all kind of one big it happened a glob um, but the story that we we had been working on the Ken Friedman story for a, a while and I have so to say background for people who may yeah. so so the me Harvey the Harvey Weinstein story broke um, by Megan Toohey and Jody Cantor at our paper, and then quickly followed by Ronan Farrow, and they were in kind of a um, you know a heavyweight match of breaking mm -hmm. the stories around Harvey Weinstein, and that was and and having like Ashley Judd and having famous people come forward, and suddenly you know it was that moment I talked to people about where the lens shifted it's like we were all swimming in toxic water and nobody realized it and then that story made us all go mm. what oh you're right oh my god I mean I can remember oh my god. talking to like a long time ago being like god you know waitresses get harassed a lot at diners we mm -hmm. should write that story about people pinching their asses or you know they you know and and the we'd all like, seen chefs like misbehave yeah yeah, yeah. and the so. bad boy chef thing that you know oh, uh, I mean that you know so and and I'm like, is it like we'd go? Oh, is this? this? And then we're like, well, no, it happens. It's not really news. It happens all the time. How is that news? Like I, mm -hmm. and I feel sort of guilty that I didn't wasn't able to articulate or push my publicate back even in San Francisco when I was at the San Francisco Chronicle and the Times to 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 see how that was news. And probably had we written, waitresses are getting harassed, or you know, male chefs are jerks and kitchens that it'd be like, yeah. Sit, yeah, you yeah. know. What are you gonna do about it? Yeah, Why ruin our good time? Sort of, you know, so yeah. all of that was happening. But then the Harvey Weinstein piece, because this had been building up, really all of our lenses came into focus, right? Mm -hmm. So then Brett Anderson did uh, short that same month in God, October, yes. the story about John Besh's operations. And, and he had worked on that for a year right, and a half. working hard and yeah. you know, that was really seminal, very, very important piece. So at the same time we were working a story about the Spotted Pig and Ken Friedman and Mario was part of that and other people who showed up and would, you know, it was, and you know, these stories are really, and now I think, although we're working on one now that, um, you know, we thought, gosh, well, let me, let me rewind, go back a little, mm -hmm. uh, getting the, the big work in those stories are talking to women mm -hmm. who've been victims and explaining to them that, you know, this is what we want to do with your story. Mm -hmm. Are you, we don't, you know, if you're comfortable, we need you to come forward. The empathy that goes And then, you know, it. hours and hours of therapy sort of listening to their story and then trying mm -hmm. to, then you have to back and not, I think, you know, we would have to corroborate stories. So, because, you know, honestly, 
memories are fungible people mm -hmm. lie you just always have to check it out not saying i don't believe the women but mm -hmm. i have to be able to go did you tell somebody else at that time did yes. you write it in a journal how what can i what facts can i get to, that can i can corroborate so mm -hmm. when we come forth with this story it's airtight mm -hmm. so that work is challenging and then it takes you an know, emotional toll in doing yeah. this kind of reporting is incredibly tough i mean right. i you know i was having a conversation on twitter as i often do with with people talking about the emotional toll that this kind of a lot of different kinds of reporting do but mm -hmm. reporting on, on on sexual assault and harassment reporting on mental health reporting on a million different things it really it really takes a toll there were so many people at cnn with ptsd mm -hmm. from a lot of the reporting that yeah. they'd done I actually I, had to go back into therapy which was surprising oh, i yeah. was like i'm gay i got this but like it was messed with my head after oh, a while no it really did i'm absolutely with you on that you know I, I talked to so many people about mental health and stuff and yes and i was in totally in denial that yes that absolutely takes a toll because well, you and i have had supportive oh, like you texts I, like oh my god i'm in it <laughs> but here's the yeah. thing is that there is an incredible piece of service that happens when you realize you're the perhaps one of the first people outside of either like a lawyer or mm -hmm. a, who this person's telling their story to and so to be yeah. able to just hold their story is a like so yes i'm getting whether you report journalism, it or not yeah it's just that act of holding someone's story and in a clear-eyed and open-hearted mm -hmm. way um you know uh sort of neutral like uh, just listening to their story and letting them put the pieces together in their head and um, you know, that's a, that's kind of a piece of service. And then, mm -hmm. you know, there's always that part of you that's like, okay, uh, you know, you're always gut checking. It, it, what, is this accurate? Is this true? Is this, you know, like, is, are they in a place where the, this is a, a they can talk about it. Like it's a, for a second, there's like 700 calculations you go through when you're listening to a story like that. Right. You're absolutely right. And, the, and, and this is, I want to follow that thread for a second there too because I know that you and I actually have both run into this where someone wants to tell a story in a particular way and it's something incredibly vulnerable and it's something and you think I can't let you do this right now you, this is not you are not in a good place you're maybe not seeing your reality as clearly as you need to because the words that are coming out of your mouth are not matching how I'm actually seeing you here right now if this story happened it would destroy you for reasons that you don't understand right now. The story that you're telling me is not the story you're telling me. And you have to make a decision. Do I let this person go forward with this thing or not? And I've, for a few times, especially if I'm editing people's first person essays or something that they're bringing to me saying like, I don't think it's in your best interest to do this right now. Let's revisit this down the road. And sometimes I know you run into people like that. Can you talk through any of that well I um you know because I'm not editing first I think that's a whole different thing but, so you're editing a sources. first person story get that um you know my this is I'm sure people will probably uh, the reality is my job is to work for the readers of the New York Times mm -hmm. um it's not to work for that source necessarily yeah. it doesn't mean I'm so not a sources human get mad at you. well you know it and there's a place where I understand what happens when you put your name in the New York Times attached mm -hmm. to something and, yeah. and the power of that in a way that someone who's just, you know, telling a story and or wants to get their story out maybe doesn't understand. And so mm -hmm. often there's like, you know, you really like with the women who came forth on the Ken uh, Friedman story, mm -hmm. they they were pretty strong together. They all mm -hmm. sort of agreed to hold hands and jump. And, yeah, and I, I know a few of them and I was, you know, so proud and they're of them. smart you know they knew they kind of understood what was going to happen you know we get into a place where like 
where I t- like you should need to attach your name to this. And I go, I can't. It has to be anonymous. And we have some really yeah. clear rules about when and how and why we would grant anonymity to a source. Um, and certainly, if somebody has such a powerful story that there is no other way for that piece of information, that information does need to become public if it really you know, hits those bars of it does need to be a public story um, or it's so powerful it really will change the needle. And they have some real specific reasons why they need to remain anonymous other than I just don't want my name in the paper. And if somebody just doesn't want their name in the paper, you know, we might try to get other people to, you know, like you just, it just gets a little like that's just a cover for people and maybe they're not ready to tell their story Mm -hmm. because if you're not ready to own your story, then it may not be the time you're ready to put this in the paper Mm -hmm. or you want to put it in the paper to affect some change and not take any responsibility for it. I see it. that. Oh, people come to me but, all the time. You know, and they're like, hey, my friend has a story and they, they want to sort of drop this bomb. Like, who can I give it to? And yeah, and it's not like, uh, you know, then then you're using us as some bludgeon for your personal agenda or whatever. Yeah. But but I also understand the vulnerability. And, you know, if somebody's like, my kids don't know that this happened to me, but this is like a story that's really important that we get out to stop bad things from happening. You know, there are... It's all very sort of gray and case by case, but, um, you know, so anyway, so if somebody's not ready, I feel like they're not ready, they're not, you know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I I have no investment in making someone's life be really bad because they need to be in the newspaper, like, like I, and maybe a younger, more aggressive reporter would do that, I'm Mm kind of like, you know what, life is way not worth this person, like you, like, if you're ready, that's great, but uh, it all, there are also people who need to kind of be told a little bit about how it all works. And yeah, there you are know, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, you're always pushing against the greater good, getting the story out, telling the news, mm-hmm. doing your job really well, mm-hmm. and the human uh, the human impact of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also allowing people to have their personal choices, but also not letting them manipulate the New York Times yeah. for their own good. You That's, know, it's a, it's a, yeah, I, there I, are many, 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 many angles. Yeah. And you and I have both been doing this for a while and you can see like what someone wants out of you and get the motivations up front and be like, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to sort of thread this all together. Ask me anything. Well, I'm just trying to figure out sort of like the, okay. So you warmed up now. Yeah, I know. Like, what did you have for breakfast? Um, So you wrote a story that a lot of people were real mad at you about, but to me, the way you were trying to do this was so, so clever um, because I felt like Kim knows exactly what she's doing in this. You wrote a story about Mario Batali contemplating a comeback. Mm -hmm. And the way that I saw you frame that was, if he is telling the story, you're giving him like just enough there that he's he's gonna fall in a hole. You knew what he. Uh, to me, I was thinking like, you know, you're, it seems uh, it could be read as like, oh, you're talking about his comeback. Oh, that's really great. But at the same time, if he comes out now with a comeback, he's never gonna get to have one if he's um, doing this kind of thing. And I saw the varying interpretations of of this happening. Yeah, that story. Yeah. So um, I, that still is one that I find just so baffling that people felt like I was just awful get, for get him, running. Giving him a pass. <laughs> well, I, you know, well, first and, of yeah. all, it was news. Um, I mean, the fact is, here's the guy who, you know, we got a, a really great tip, really started with somebody overhearing a conversation mm-hmm. and came to me and said, I heard him talking about this at this mm-hmm. place. And I was like, hmm, really? He's mm-hmm. thinking about it? Okay, that's interesting. And then... Um, I started asking some people that I knew, and they're like, oh, yeah, I, 
he came to me and wanted to know, was feeling me out about this job or that. And then I, I'm like, oh, you know who else he talked to? Oh, yeah, I heard he talked to, you know, and he talked to Chris Quinn. And Chris Quinn is like, you know, she she's a grand, you know, great. You know, she was a former mayoral candidate. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's a smart politician talks and I called her up and she's like oh yeah here's a little and then I called someone else who she mentioned and so I just started reporting I'm like this guy's going around town mm-hmm. trying to engineer a comeback that's a news story that is very interesting to me mm-hmm. you know um and and if you recall when he first when all this news first broke um you know and it broke in our paper broken eater it was just all over mm-hmm. right and uh that was floodgates and he <laughs> sent out his email newsletter <laughs> he sent it out saying you may have heard some stuff i'm sorry i guess i had some bad behavior oh, by the way here's a cinnamon roll you can make with pizza dough Godless. i mean that was like the i mean that's a clap that is the most you that's cinematic and, and, it's uh, a cinematic and, right and, uh, geraldine like who from everywhere is like uh, wrote a james beard award-winning essay where she made oh that was brilliant she cinnamon. made the cinnamon that was so brilliant She's i have to so say yeah. that was one of the most brilliant oh. I I mean that was just perfect yeah so anyway so he's so this is a guy who clearly mm-hmm. doesn't get you know does not reading things or whatever for whatever reason you know and i mario's got a very complex psychology and all these mm-hmm. you know uh, things that we will never really quite understand but <laughs> anyway there he is so um so i'm like this is a really interesting story and so i and then i write to him and i'm like hey here's what i know is this true is this true is this true and he's like i would prefer you don't write that story which i'm mm-hmm. sure he wouldn't because he knew that if it comes out he's going to look like and especially you know. in that time frame so, too it had been what how many months not many so i write that story now immediately people were like Mario planted this with her. Mm-hmm. She's a puff piece for Mario. She's an apologist for rapists. And I was like, well, no. Now, I, I will say looking, and because you write these things in real time, looking back, I do, I wish I had added, I wish I had made one more call to one of the of his victims and had their voice in there. But then it becomes mm-hmm. like a weird, like, I'm going to ask you again to come and defend yourself against Mario. Like, it's a weird, like, or had just nuanced the victim, the victims, his victims a little more in that story. Looking back, I think yeah. that would have been better. I certainly wish I would have done yeah, that. No. I didn't want to call up his victims and say, what do you think? Because then it becomes like a little trial and these women have to once again Press say, the again. of course I hate Mario. And of course he, I believe he's actually assaulted me. Or of course he harassed me in yeah. this restaurant. And it becomes this like weird um, false equivalency of he said, she's like, it just, I was just like, look, here are the facts. Mm-hmm. This person has been doing this. And it's a news story. Mm-hmm. Make of it what you will. Like I thought it was important to um, to chronicle what a major player in this sexual harassment and abuse case was actually th- thinking it was okay to come back. And I, you know, I'm just going to put out what he was doing. This is the facts, well reported, inside stuff nobody else has about what conversations he does not want to get out. And I thought that was like a good news story. I don't know. I thought I was doing my job. There was, I wish I could remember it right this second, but there was a turn of phrase in it. And I thought like, that's you giving him like taking away that, that extra couple of inches of dock. He's dropping in the water Mm -hmm. now by his, his own. Like again, we're just saying, and you decide if you think this is this, and this is what this guy's doing. I'm not here to put Mario on trial. I'm not here to put anybody Mm -hmm. on trial. That's not our job, you Mm -hmm. know, but I can certainly see a good news story and the fact that he's mm-hmm. coming back at a time when I knew a lot of people did not think he should ever or should ever or should be on trial in a criminal court. This was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's one of those things. I, if I had come to you and said, you know what I heard Mario's thinking about doing? You would have been like, what? Like, that's a news story, <laughs> right? So um, 
Why do you think people were well, so, um, so like, you well, know, like, like I, there was I, like I, Kim I, Severson cancel culture because well, I wrote that story. Well, so the I'm last. I'm seriously uh, curious. Yeah, no, the last um, exchange I had with Anthony Bourdain was uh, within the couple of days of, of that story. And he, our, our, our main uh, communication was via Twitter DM. He would, you know, pop in and rant about something and we, w- we would chat. He was so uh, mad at you for that. And it was he, not the first time Anthony Bourdain was yes. mad at me. <laughs> same girl. Note. Yeah. Same girl, same. Um, but it, it was, and he wanted uh, essentially like me to go yell at you. And uh, I, I, I knew him well enough at this point, and I said, like, love you, I'm not your hench girl. And, uh, and I think he had uh, popped into, and you know, I, I, Helen's, uh, Helen Rosner's like DMs too, and all this stuff, because he was, he was so angry, and it is a, uh, a, you know, a tremendous regret of mine that I didn't, God, have more back and forth with him about them, or that, you know, that, or any, just, goddamn anything else well you know uh, he he has my number he has my email he certainly could have said what he thought that's number one (laughs) and number two you know uh anthony bourdain had his own complex issues around uh the me too movement and his contribution to uh bad boy bro culture and Mm -hmm. to his own issues with Asi Argento mm-hmm. as either a Weinstein victim or also you recall Jimmy Bennett like mm-hmm. he also ha- paid off a kid who said that his lover had slept with him when he was 17 yeah. like like the so amount you, of like yeah, so you ended- self-righteous and you know guilt-ridden and we're all frustrated and we all want justice stuff merging around mm-hmm. in a person you know, I mean, I think there there was a lot of stuff there with him, you so know, much, and yeah. it's very funny that he was trying to get the women to go get on me about that. It, that is really interesting. But I, 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 I did of, not know that fact. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to spring that on you. No, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, it was it was such an interesting uh, thing. And I wish I'd taken it further because, uh, you know, I I wanted to find out I'm not why hard to get that. a hold so, of. I People know. can call me. So I didn't know if he had, uh, you know, reached out to you or not. But then you ended up having to delve into his story. And that was a super emotional time for a whole lot of people. And it was sort of the, it was a weird time for me too, because I had been for you know a few years at that point, uh, talking about the intersection of food and mental health and where this particular kitchen mentality came into play with the with the bad boy chef uh, thing and and the you know this the, the the pirate ship mentality the you know don't be a pussy like don't be a you know whatever if you need to be a human being to work to absolute excess and in the months before he took his own life he was doing some reckoning um with that and his his role in it and and all of that and it was you know and i i was wanting to talk to him more specifically ab- about that and then there you know it all happened that you know that particular day what you know i think is still a lot of us are processing but you had to get walk into this sort of cultural moment where there were all of these different parts of it going on where not only is there the death by suicide of a you know foundational figure in food but also how he was tied up in the me too movement in some really incredibly complicated ways and you had to go in there and report that yeah that day was a really um 
you know, and this is, you, you don't really process that stuff when you're trying to do a job. So I got a really early, woke up by a text from a friend of mine yeah. who um, uh, uh, knew before the news broke yeah. that this had happened. And I got woken up and, uh, you know, I, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I have a home office. And I got up and I, uh, you know, just in my, you know, threw on some sweatpants and went to my desk and was there for 12 hours. And so, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, texting Eric Repair and gently texting chefs I knew who knew were very close. Mm -hmm. And you're like, you know, I'm so, uh, what can we, you know, because people do want to know what happened. And my job mm -hmm. is to tell people as best I can what happened. But I'm dealing with, you know, Andrew's like, people I have interviewed or know and know that they've just lost someone close trying to find out what can what do you know what mm -hmm. can we say what's the best way to you know deal with this terrible tragedy but get the facts out as best we can and we had you know uh, our reporter in uh, Europe was on a train to the city and we had you know that you see the sort of power of the New York Times and we had people on express and so we're so I have to think about and then we have to think about we write this as a rolling news story and mm -hmm. then the implications and then the you know the suicide triggering and then that like how do you handle like it was, I was on just the with Frank, Frank Bruni called me that day right so and everybody to, yeah. and because Tony had touched so many people mm -hmm. and everybody felt like they knew him and mm -hmm. so because he was just very uh accessible guy and he had yeah. changed you know as you say a foundational figure so then everybody wants to talk and so i'm trying to get and you know people are refreshing the times page what do we know this is my job right i'm trying to figure out what facts can i get mm -hmm. you know I'm, i've got a lot of i'm pretty sourced up i know people i'm trying to get information what's accurate what do we know and it is a little tied into the you know there were all those issues around uh his are we doing okay on time is that yeah, the thing um I'm like, okay, not my, not my medium. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and then you, it's tied into the Me Too thing. There's all the stuff around Asia Argento and whether mm -hmm. she was seen with a photographer and was that why he did it? Mm -hmm. And were there, what's the tox report? Everybody's waiting to see, was he on, was he on drugs again? Yeah. And all the, you know, so, so, so there are parts. things and you have to handle them in a responsible way under an incredible time crunch. And, you know, people are just refreshing to look at the page, like what a, so that happened for 12 hours solid, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, boom, 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 yeah. boom, right? And it, and, and you're listening to people like you know uh andrew zimmer and being like i'm like he wants to process and he and i have talked about many you know so yeah anyway so that was happening and i don't know how we got over on what that day was like so that gets reported but then it's the what does this mean i mean that cultural wave through the food community mm -hmm. is still it's still happening. resonating absolutely it is still resonating still it is a huge moment and yeah and i think that more will be coming out and we'll know more and more books coming out laurie wolliver so, is still right still working on books that she was yeah with and him. so it's it's really and this is the 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 part where i am grateful and respectful of what my role is in all of this which is just to try to be there, you know, on the front row of history and record it as best I can in an accurate way that where a record will stand over a long period mm -hmm. of time. And so in 20 years, when someone needs to go look up what was happening during that period mm -hmm. and understand our history, that there will be a record of work in the New York Times about this stuff that is as accurate uh, at the moment and as fair as we can have it in. You know, that's mm -hmm. kind of my guiding thing is I'm, it's more about that than it is about you know, and, and 
of course, every journalist wants to make the world better. We're in, we're crusaders. I was like a post-Watergate baby, right? I saw mm. Watergate happen, and a bunch of us ran off to journalism school to change the world. Has not worked well, but we tried. <laughs> and, you know, so there's just something, I think, in every journalist that is trying to make sense of the world and make it better, and by telling the truth. It's, like, mm -hmm. pretty simple sort of thing. Yeah, though, <laughs> you know, as a journalist at the succeeding New York Times, like, you right. know, you constantly, you know, have a target on you, and people you know, really wanting to, uh, for the, in their own interests, I think, say that all journalists are getting into this because they want to lie. I'm like, if I wanted to spend a whole lot of time lying, like what other, you know, I could go into a billion Can't other professions that pay better than all this, this stuff. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of work. Um, would you say that is one of the toughest stories you've, what, it, what is the toughest story you've ever had to report? Well, I have, you know, I, before I was a food writer, um, you know, I came up through the ranks of cops and courts, and mm -hmm. you know, I was like, you know, blowing the lid off the Lake Oswego School on. Board, and you, you can't go into executive session, of my, you know. So I did a lot, a <laughs> lot, lot of that, and um, you know, I had some really weird stories that I, you know, I, I can remember the first couple times when I would go into I was working in Tacoma, and a young kid got killed, and I you know to go interview the family like the first mm. couple times you do that and you're there before like maybe the cops are just there or have not quite been there or you know like that moment where you're the first person you know and you say what was he like to a mom whose son was just oh killed and you're there you're holding yeah. and I was younger reporter you know and you're holding their stuff you know I this is a really random weird thing about me. Um, I was a reporter at the Tacoma News Tribune when Ted Bundy was executed. Whoa. And he was from Tacoma. And for some reason, I don't know why I got this assignment, but I was like doing the social service beat then and I was kind of Miss Touchy Feely social service reporter. And I, they asked me to go the, the night before he was um, gonna be executed, the day before, uh, to go and spend time with his mother, Mrs. Ted Bundy, because she was a, I mean, we're a local, everything's got a local angle. Mm -hmm. Go interview Ted Every, Bundy. Everything's got food, but everything's I got a local I remember, angle. you know, like, um, you know, she was so convinced, like, that he, that this is kind of was still a terrible mistake. And I remember her big, you know, the, the dining room tables filled with all these sympathy cards because her son, and she wanted to take me to his room and show me his Boy Scout uniform when, <sighs> from when he was a kid. And I was, you know, I was like probably my late 20 reporter, my little dutiful, you know, and I just remember like, I, I, I just remember like to try to understand a mom who raised a sociopath, psychopath like that, and who who was about to lose her son? And I mean, this is where I'm gonna. I mean, I, you know, how do you hold like? Yeah. And I'm a little, you know, twenty-something reporter with my you know little notebook. Like, how do you even, you know, get through that with somebody? So yeah. you're often in these circumstances. You, you know, it's just you know you do your job. So. I remember that one, and, and I also, just even most recently, it doesn't get easier, when yeah. I went down to be the- <laughs> You only care more. Bureau chief for, um, uh, for the National Dust for the Times, and I, this was right when, if you remember, when they had all those tornadoes that came oh, yeah. and killed like 300 people oh, in Alabama. Yeah, vividly. And I got in the little, you know, news Malibu and drove out to the middle of nowhere, Alabama, and where this tornadoes had come through. And I was there before the Red, for some reason, got there before this one particular part, before the Red Cross, before anybody. And there were people like just with their huddled up with their, in front of their torn up mobile homes with mm. in blue tarps. They didn't want to leave their mobile homes because they're afraid they'd get looted, who just were stumbling, you know, and 
whenever you go into a disaster like that, you carry like, you know, cases of water yeah. and, you know, you know, like granola bar, something just yeah. to hand, because you just don't know what you're going to come up with, yeah. what you're going to need. So, and I'm just like trying to give them granola bars and interview and figure out what's going on. And, you know, there are people who like, I don't know how I'm going to fill out these forms. And I was like, well, why not? She goes, well, and this 40 year old woman said to me, she goes, well, I don't read nor write. And I was like, and I, I'm standing there in the middle of nowhere. This woman's got no home. She's no, she's going to fill out her forms. And I'm, I, I mean, you know, there's just these yeah. moments you're like, well, how can I? So you help, you know, and then you are getting your story and you're, it's just like, I mean, I can't tell you how many situations like that. So I don't know that there's like hard. I will say that the reporting the Jimmy Bennett, Asi Argento, Tony yeah, story. You and I were on the phone a lot. Was super hard because the pressures from Asi's people and like, and I'm going to basically be saying that Tony Bourdain like paid off somebody and did this thing that was awful and then all the people who mm. really hold him in in this saintly way which he i mean listen tony was an amazing man but he would it, never want to be called a saint no he wouldn't but you know that yeah. is happening and then is it true and then it gets all weird because there's all the like israeli security forces and rose mcgowan and however you want like there's all this weird conspiracy yeah. it may have been the ukraine i don't know all in there and uh and I'm just like, and here's this 17-year-old kid who's not exactly, like, oh, he's 20, like, how credible is he? He's kind of on, you know, I could tell he's getting high, and is he like, but then he sends these, and I get these pictures, and I'm like, oh, there you are. You're 17. Mm -hmm. You're in bed with her. What? So it's, and then the Times is like, well, we're not going to publish the picture of the 17-year-old and her in bed. And I'm like, but that's like the money, like the money shot. You got to, well, we're, so, yeah. and then I'm going through, you know, so like that pressure. Yeah. And it's dealing with childhood sexual abuse, really, on a level. And I'm like, Whoa. it was hard. You and I were, that was yeah, a hard. We, we talked through Like, a what lot is of true? What is true? Why does this have to happen? And you know yeah. all the stuff that went into that probably better yeah. than anybody. <laughs> so, like, this is important. How do I tell this? I'm freaking out. Talking about suicide is incredibly tough. Talking I to people's, it. yeah, and people's anyway. notions of that stuff. So and that I, makes the rabbit story look pretty oh, damn oh simple. And can I tell you, one, one of the most terrifying moments of my adult life was prepping to go up on stage and face off against you. Ugh. We were not killing rabbits. We were not killing rabbits. Uh, so for people who don't this know was, about this. This was the hot, one of the highlights of my was food it, career. Same, same. Was this 2013? It had to be 20, 14. 2014, yeah. I, we, uh, Kim and I. Southern food. Says, Kim and I, oh, Kim's wearing a dress. Okay, that which, alone. <laughs> which, when had been the last time you'd worn a dress? By Alabama Shannon designed it. I <laughs> think I hadn't worn a dress since maybe <laughs> I mean it had been many many years there was the there was oh wow okay getting the sign from here okay wrap this so we're <laughs> in Oxford Mississippi at Dateline. the Southern Foodways Alliance Sympo symposium full uh okay so several hundred food writers chefs Gabrielle Hamilton was there I found out was she oh because good thing yeah. I didn't know that um so we were put up against each other in so a Lincoln Douglas style debate right this was John T. Edge thought this was going to be really cute that <laughs> that we would debate CNN each other <laughs> on cake v pie and we had we're in costume which is why I was wearing this dress I, the thing is I wasn't actually in costume I was just wearing what, what I wear <laughs> see how come I got screwed and had to wear the dress <laughs> I had uh, it was it was funny. So they, uh, I don't think people also realized that we were friends, right? Right. Um, and we had to 
I don't think people and we had to do these like deeply researched debate. I mean, you were good. Like we you had, we had, you know, we had to have hashtag facts. Oh my gosh. So we were up there and we didn't know what each other really was going to, we're going to say ahead of time. I don't have a lot of regrets in my life. I've a lot of therapy, like a lot of stuff. I let myself go. My great regret is you went in the, there with a stinger that I did not rebut and I could have. Okay, tell me. What was you, it? Uh, we got it now. I went through something and you said, like, and you made a crack about me living in Brooklyn. And uh. I did not take that moment to note that you lived a block away from me. Uh, but I don't Brooklyn. anymore. I know, but you <laughs> did. I know. you got to be agile. you got to yeah, like yeah, a butterfly, sting like a bee. But it was so terrifying. Uh, to, to I thought my winning line that really was that <laughs> because Kat was defending pie as a superior. I was defending cake. And I was like, nobody trying to break out of prison has someone hide <laughs> a hacksaw in a pie. <laughs> it's a cake, which uh, is why. I pulled out some rude comment about country singers and like who was the pie person, who was the cake person. Yeah. I don't remember, but I, no, I finished. That was but good. I also stacked my deck by saying saying roll pie. Right. That was Southern. <laughs> and you were really appealing to the Americana, oh, the I sure pie. Did. The, I mean, yeah. you were you were like, you were trying to go for the mass appeal. It was, I was downright Trumpian. In your, in your, in your, <laughs> I was. I was. <laughs> and, I, and Sister Fire, we both won that Yeah, we did, baby. Oh, Hunter Lewis, Woo! our editor-in-chief wanted me to ask you where did sister fire come from because uh, so people uh, kim is notorious for calling people sister fire i really you know i have no that's why i wore this necklace today for people, my sister fire for necklace. people uh, who are just listening to you us know not honest us. to god i have no idea i just had a, uh, some young some young women in my life who just thought we're just doing great they were just mm -hmm. on fire and they and maybe actually you know now i think about it Back in my San Francisco Chronicle days, there was a, a a woman named Leslie Nielsen who now does food stuff in Salt Lake City. And oh, she's great. Yeah. yeah. So she, I believe, now that I think about this, she started calling people Sister Fire back in the day. Or we called each other Sister Fire back in the Chronicle days. Mm. And I just like it. So I think now I'm going to have to call, and this is fact-checking. Yeah, fact-check yourself. I'm going to call her because <laughs> I think that Leslie Nielsen is the first person I heard use the phrase sister fire and I will get back to you. I'm going to call her. Thank you. We're going to fact check this. I believe that was back <laughs> in the late 90s, early 2000s, San Francisco Chronicle, Leslie Nielsen, sister fire, okay. I think. And so for people who can't hear us, I'm wearing a necklace. It that is, a, is such a, a thank you for giant, that. It is a huge a sister fire. It's a on fire. It's a heart with flames and it is a sister fire necklace, <laughs> sister fire. Is. So I'm going to go into our, I could, I, I want. I God. I wish. I, I wish we had a weekly thing. You and That's Helen Rosner right. and me. Like, why not? Oh my God. Why not? I, I know. Let's talk to talk to our bosses about That's this right. thing. Like okay. Sam, Sam and Hunter are friends. They'll Let's do make it. Them have it. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Kim Severson. Okay. I this know. is a scary part of the show. <laughs> okay. So I know that you take care of a lot of people in your life. You're you're mm. so kick ass at your job. You take care of, you know, you you got a kid. You got a partner you take emotional care of people like me who text you at random hours back at you baby what is the selfish thing that you want for yourself um I would love to stop taking care of so many people I mean I really have to say that and I know you're and you and I both can talk about this but um you know, it's that filling up your own tank thing. And I put your own mask on before helping others. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's really important. And I realize, I mean, I think after you live a while, you realize that it, 
you know, you sort of sift through all of your stuff like powdered sugar, right? And you're mm-hmm. like all of your issues and you're, it's, mm-hmm. it's in a sifter. And then it gets down to those two or three little rocks that never go through the sifter. <laughs> I am like down to the two th- or three little rocks that don't go through the sifter. And I kind of know what they are and I know kind of where mm-hmm. they come from. Mm-hmm. Now, does it, so they pop up every day or maybe, and I'm like, oh, there's that thing where mm-hmm. if I just, and this is why I'm in journalism, we're going to get real. And therapy. <laughs> if I just fix the world, mm-hmm. then there will be enough time for me. Mm-hmm. If I just, you know, do all the stuff I'm supposed to do as a kid at home and all my chores, mm-hmm. then my parents will have time to see whatever's happening to me. If I make everything right, then whew, I can take a moment for me. So it's this, which, you know, hashtag codependent, this mm-hmm. will go into that whole other world. It has served me well because I want to make the world right through journalism and it drives me and makes me a good professional. Um, it occasionally makes me uh, a good parent and partner as my hostage. I mean, my girlfriend <laughs> will tell you, um, but it also is, is a terrible thing. So I have to just really be attuned to like, what's a little moment I can take for myself? Is it just pausing and looking at that great tree out the window and knowing that somebody bigger than me made that and everything's okay and the world's bigger? Is it just, um, maybe I'm going to eat the one thing that makes me feel good, you know, and not eat it to excess, but like eat it and say, you know, I love the fuck it diet. Fuck it. I'm going to eat this. That (laughs) makes me feel good. God, Um, journalists eat terribly. You know, well, not all of us. Some of us do. (laughs) Although um, many of them don't. Yeah. So, you know, but it's that kind of how can I take care of myself thing? Yeah. Um, does that answer your question? Actually, it leads into my next one. Okay. What's your comfort food? Oh, my gosh. Well, I had been trying to be off the carbs some. Mm. And so, for example, I just had a really good uh, piece of epe bread with a ginormous piece of butter on it. And that was good. I'm like, you know, I grew up Italian, so any pasta thing is good. Mm-hmm. However, I will say I watched football and killed a bag of Takis the other day. Oh, what flavor of Taki? Uh, just the the lime spicy one. Oh, I think yeah. is it the green bag? Those no. are so, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not, normally wouldn't eat that. Like I kind of do like a crunchy, like I like a Cheeto-y. Mm-hmm. I'm a texture person. Crunchy, cheesy, Cheeto-y thing. Um, so I like that. You know, just really, the comfort food thing is a really, it depends. I also, I, I like a good piece of cake. I hate to say, but you know. <laughs> Um, I also love a jack-in-the-box taco, which I can't get out on the East Coast. But, like, there's something weird about that, like, fried mushy cheese filling that gets where the filling is fried Mm -hmm. in the shell. And I just don't know why, with a little bit of, like, really sad um, iceberg lettuce on it and a packet of their hots. I don't know why, but I love that. That sounds so good. I want that. Also pork rinds. Oh, I love Especially in the South at the little gas stations. They have really random, you know, pork rinds. And so, like, a pork rind... If I was really being indulgent, um, uh, Coke with a um, you know pellet ice oh, in God, the ice. company Malibu, driving to some place, that <laughs> is a good moment. Yeah. Oh God, I you just said it. I, I'm hungry for all those things now. What is the last meal that you had that made you emotional? Oh, I, well, I, just my birthday recently. This is Happy sounds, birthday, thanks so saccharin, but I made some uh, spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> yeah, it's international, Kim 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 right? Um, which I stole from you. I have to say, <laughs> when I write on Twitter, it's international so-and-so day. I completely now. stole it from Kat, and I asked permission to steal it. So you just did. so we, you know, we co-own. The world we owns co-own it. it. It's a good thing. So <laughs> I'm just passing it on. No one owns that. Um, but I. When I was, we, I moved around a lot of as, as a kid, and when we got to a house, my mom would make spaghetti and meatballs when, and that's when I knew we would be like, okay, we're home. And I have moved into a new house that just was beyond what I could even my stress point moving into this new house. And it was my birthday, and I, we'd only been in there a few weeks, so I made 
bunch of people over and I made spaghetti and meatballs for uh, my family and my daughter and people were eating it. I think everybody was just like, oh, this is fine. And I was so moved by that moment. I was exhausted because I, of course, overextended to take care of everybody as my own little birthday present to myself. Uh, but that spaghetti meatballs, just having that moment, I just felt like even if it was just like a little five minute piece of relief before I had to get up and do the dishes for everybody mm-hmm. again, hashtag codependent. I, um, that was a, that was big for me. That yeah. was super emotional. Yeah. Yeah. What's the last meal that somebody cooked for you in their home? What is the last meal somebody cooked for me in my home, in their home? Who has cooked for me lately? That's a really good question. I ask if people are nervous about cooking for food people. Yeah, they are, which is crazy. I mean, part of it is that I do like to cook and I cook for most people. Mm-hmm. When did, when was the last time my friend Blaine, who's Ethiopian, made some, he, her mother-in-law was in town and, and before we, I think that, God, was that the last time that Blaine's house? I know, God, that is a really good question. That is a good question. I cannot, since Mm -hmm. since I moved last couple months, I don't know who's cooked for me. God, would somebody cook for me? Yeah, please, somebody. Wow. (laughs) Next time you come to town. I did, I guess like bad school potlucks don't count at my child's school. No, someone has to cook for you. Wow. Yeah, I know. Okay, it's, that is a big piece of the puzzle, yeah, Kat Kinsman. Yeah, someone needs to cook for you. Wow. I know. So, I know. And it might pop into your head. You can always text me later. But <laughs> That's yeah. really fascinating. So, what living musician would you want to cook for, and what would you cook for them? Wow. Um, <clears throat> let's see. So, um, I, you know, I have really I would love to cook for this is going to sound really weird because it's a yes and a no question I would love to cook for Joni Mitchell but she's kind of batshit crazy right now there's a lot so going then on I'm there. like and then she's got all those things you know because it's like who who would you want to talk to because you love their music but mm-hmm. then who do you think would be a good eater yeah. you know and I think Bruce Springsteen would be a really oh. good eater what would you make you know? for Bruce? Um, you know, I think that at this point in his life, he's trying to eat healthier. He's got some mental health stuff, and he's trying yeah, to eat God healthier. God bless him for talking about it. No, I think that that's really, you know, so I would have to find out what he, like what, um, like the like the meals that his mother made for him that he really liked and do kind of a grown-up version of that mm-hmm. for him, I think would be good. You know, I mean, that's so, I don't know why I, he was been on, I, because I just watched the documentary, watch is why, and the fact that he's talking about mental health. So that's why I think he's on my, on my mind a little you bit. You want to take care of Bruce, Bing, Bruce I do. Springsteen, National Treasure. I do. I like I that. I do. He's like an old man. I get sympathy for old men. He's not an old man, but you know. Yeah, he's, he's taken care of so many. Right. There you go. So let's say you have five uninterrupted minutes for self-care. What do you do? If I had five minutes, I seriously would find a piece of nature somewhere mm-hmm. and sit there and just do meditation. Just be like, something's bigger than me. Like, you know, thy will not mine be done. Like something bigger, mm-hmm. like let go of, like just try to put myself in a larger space. That's exactly what I would do. Anytime I get five minutes, exactly, mm-hmm. without a doubt. There's the Hudson River right there. I, I spend a lot of time staring at do you. Yeah. What do you do in five minutes? 
Okay, so here actually, I was gonna I was gonna flip it to you because the famous Kim Saverson. Oh, one last question, so you yeah. get to ask me a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you do in your five minutes? I am learning to meditate. I didn't think my monkey brain could do it. I started, um, and I had enough people uh, sort of bullying me uh, into it, and finally. Um, I, I just there there was a moment <laughs> bullying like, into meditation. Yeah, truly. <laughs> like I cuz I bully a lot of people into mental health right. uh, stuff and I am sort of notorious for for You're that. You're great at it. I, I I try and uh Anthony Porosky, queer eye Anthony Porosky, who's wow. a lovely man who I've I've known for years. Wow. Um we you know, sort of have an ongoing dialogue about anxiety and stuff and he was like, "Hey, you know, I've started meditating and you know, I'm using an app and, and stuff and it's really really working for it." for me maybe you should try it mm. and I was actually at um, Blackberry Farm I had been interviewing Sean Brock there um, for like about a lot of mental health stuff and and his new book and um, and I thought you know oh, should I should be going and exploring the property and stuff and I thought you know what no I'm gonna lay here on this comfy ass bed that I couldn't afford if mm-hmm. I were paying for it right. and I'm gonna do a 10 minute session um, with Headspace and you know what it took root and I've been doing that good for you cat yeah. kinsman good for us kim Severson. Yeah. and can i say take this one moment to thank you as i know many people have for all you're doing for oh. people in this business and for moving the ball down the field on all of us taking care of each other and um you are a real gift and thank you i'm gonna toss that right back at you kim because you have been there in some of my my darkest scariest moments and i know that i can send you a text and you'll keep it in the vault and i appreciate you and what you're doing in a family meal uh, newsletter which i totally love like complained uh last week that all these podcasts are love fests and stuff like like sorry we've given you another one but. right hey well you know what you can go other places if you don't want love and go go subscribe to family meal it's really great but also <laughs> subscribe to communal table and and thank you kim Thank you so much. And people can find you on all the socials at Kim yes. Severson. You want to yell at me? It's Kim Severson on Twitter. It's Kim Severson <laughs> on Insta, which is really not anything I spend. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's, uh, you know, the New York Times. And, you know, reach Thank out. You. All tips welcome. Please, I, the tip <laughs> jar, the tip jar is open for tips. So seriously, you know, if you have something you want to say or something, a story you think needs to happen, mm-hmm. we do. We, I will respect your privacy and we'll talk. Yeah, and um, she's a she's a good one to have your story with. So thank you so much, thank Kim. Thank you, doll. Yay, love fest. Yay, love fest. And we thank you to our producer uh, Jen Martnick, and thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. You know, he wrote the theme song. Really? To, uh, yeah, man of many many talents. Wow. And uh, you know, if you, if you like what you heard. It would be a really great thing if you went to like Apple Podcasts or anywhere anywhere that you can write or comment or all these things. And, you know, it it helps us get in the algorithm. Then we get heard. Then we get to keep doing these conversations. It helps. It matters. The algorithm matters. The algorithm matters. And it matters more than we do. And you guys like, you know, do it for Kat, man. She does so much for the rest of us. Do, do it, it for Cat, do man. It for me, do it man. for the kids. Do it for Cat. Because if you're look and if you're looking for me and you want to tell me, hey, you screwed up, or if you want to be like, hey, you should talk to my friend or talk about this thing, you can find me on Twitter at kitten with a whip. I'm real not hard to find, and uh, you know, do that. You can come to Food and Wine Pro, which you know it's right there on the Food and Wine webpage. You can go to our YouTube page. We have a brand new communal table uh, YouTube page, and you can go there and you can subscribe, and all this stuff will just kind of automatically show up and it's a beautiful thing but you know no pressure no pressure at all (laughs) we appreciate you listener and i want you to take good care of yourself until the next time 
Self-care, baby. Self-care, baby. 